a crazy story is, is that um, God told me to go to Indiana camp. And um, my pastor was like, what? I was like, yeah, God told me to go. He's like, I don't know how in the world that's going to work out. You're blind. How are you going to watch kids? How are we going to explain to parents that you're going to watch their kids? And I'm like, I don't know, but God told me to go. So I did, and I took my dog, and I had a dog guide then, and I mean, God just showed up. It was cool. Made lots of friends. I've got lots of friends here. Amen. Amen. I mean, I know a lot of you from church camp. So if the other you didn't know me and you didn't know I'm blind, surprise. <laughs> I almost feel like this is a comedy routine, like everybody's just laughing. <laughs> um, is this board up here? Let me see. It is? Okay. Does that look intimidating to you guys? <laughs> I'm getting ready to draw on that thing. <laughs> Turn in your Bibles, would you, to Romans chapter 1. Bishop, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. It's, it's fun, it's jokes, and yeah, I'm blind, but God is good, and I'm thankful for the call of God on our lives that brought us together, and, um, and I just appreciate the opportunity to be here. New Life Church, thank you. Uh, it's, a big, it's a big honor. And didn't that young man preach earlier? My goodness gracious. I, I wasn't expecting that. I mean, it was great straight shooting preaching as far as I'm concerned. That was, but the thing that impressed me the most was that he was searching the scriptures. And he was asking God. You know, that folks get an education and study online and stuff like that. And searching the scriptures and seeking God for the answer is, is rare anymore. And it's great to see, you know, God using a young man in such a great way and delivering such a powerful message. Thank you. Thank you for being such a great example. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 7. I want to talk to you tonight. We're doing a Bible study this week on the oneness of God and maybe next week on baptism. Now, if you've been in church any amount of time, you're probably thinking, okay, we've done this before. I'm here to tell you that we haven't done this before. Um, and the reason is, is because I'm going to be teaching you from um, a Jewish theological perspective. So Romans chapter 1, verse 7, the last part of it says, grace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Now, when you read that straight up, it looks like, how many? One or two? Two, just be honest. It looks like there's two. And I'm going to get into the Bible study. I think I've got a little bit of time, but I'm going to just talk a little bit before I do. But in the back of your mind from this verse, I want you to remember this. God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we're going to pick up um, at the end. And, and, and from this Bible study, you will understand clearly what Paul was trying to communicate when he was making that statement. Amen. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we need you. We need your help. Give us revelation and understanding, God. Your spirit is already here. You're already speaking, God. Thank you for the honor it is to come behind this young man and just tap in, God, and communicate what thus saith the Lord. God, and I'm asking you, just help us here. Amen. We need an understanding of who you are. Amen. There's a reason and there's a purpose and that you would reign. You are God and God alone, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let me grab this water. Oh, I was, I was expecting that thing to be down on the floor. Jewish theological perspective. Who am I and why do I think that I would have a right to be able to talk to you about that? Well, um, 
For those who don't know me, I'm blind. I did. I, I wasn't always born blind. I had a meth lab blow up on me when I was 20 years old. I ended up going to prison in Illinois, a little bit of time in, in Missouri, Indiana. Um, Indiana, I was looking at 40 years in Elkhart County for a crime I didn't commit. So I may, there may be someone in the crowd who I was in jail with. I have no idea. Um, but that's what happened. I was in jail for four, looking at 40 years for a crime I just, that didn't even happen. And I don't know. I don't know. I, all, all I know is that I said, God, I heard you wouldn't put anything more on us than what we could bear. And then the next thing you know, a couple of preachers are walking through the door who happen to be apostolic. And they came in and they prayed for me. And I wish I could say that, you know, we had a, a Paul and Silas moment where the gates opened, but it didn't work out that way. <clears throat> a couple of years later, though, I mean, God showed up in that jail cell and he spoke to me, gave me specific instructions, creeped me out because there was no one in that cell but me. And I heard an audible voice tell me specifically what to do. And when we did that, um, we ended up with a bunch of evidence um, that basically set me free. Yeah, it was, it was a miraculous thing. You know, and it's really cool to, some of you may know Clyde Brown here in Goshen, you know, and to come across him. And he's like, yeah, you were one of the few that was really not guilty. Um, it was just an incredible ordeal, you know. And I can't claim any kind of credit for it, but it was God. And God had revealed himself to me, right? He wasn't just something that I heard anymore, right? He wasn't just something that somebody told me about, right? He, he spoke to me. Amen. I heard his voice, and then I was obedient to what he said, and then he did something miraculous. And there's a process there that exposes revelation because when God set me free in such a supernatural way, who else could claim the credit, right? It's God. He revealed himself to me. And I couldn't shake that. I couldn't, no matter what I did, no matter how much I tried to run from God, I couldn't shake what he did for me because he had revealed himself to me. He wasn't, he wasn't just a figment of my imagination or something that I believed in for the sake of believing. Like, he was like a real person. I talked to him. I shook his hand. He hugged me. He filled me with his spirit, right? He, right? He, he did a miraculous thing. And sometimes we get into, like, and I want to talk to you about this idea, this thing of revelation, um, because we get to see God move, and, and he heals, and he does all these different things, and, and that's really awesome, but there's, there's more to it than that. And, and why is there this big oneness trinity debate anyway? Like, what does it matter? What does matter? Understanding who he is is important. And I'm telling you, for this church, understanding who he is uh, allows him to be God. It allows him to reign in our lives and in our home and in our community. Not just in the church, right? Not just in heaven. But when we have an understanding and we have a, a revelation of God, amen, he reigns on earth as he does in heaven. Why? Because we allow him to. Amen. We're willing to submit to him. Amen. When we understand who he is and what he's trying to accomplish in our life, being obedient is not something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do. Right? It's, it really is. It's, it changes everything. Right? And that's why revelation is so important. And, you know, so 
Revelation is so important. I'm going to say it again. Revelation is so important, right? And, and, and when we look about the oneness of God, there's a lot of great YouTube videos. I appreciate them. But sometimes, sometimes they put things together and sometimes they rely on the Greek. And I understand that. But sometimes that gets a little convoluted and difficult to understand. And you just can't prove your point in a coffee shop sometime when you're doing that, trying to get into the Greek. And, or it's one thing if you're trying to debate, but when you're trying to bring someone into the revelation of God, you need something a little bit more, right? You need something. You need God to do it. You need God to reveal himself. So revelation is important for that reason also. And I remember when I got out of jail, I was going to church and, you know, God called me to Israel a couple of months after I got into church. And, you know, I, I told my friend Lee, Lee Fowler, many of you probably know who he is. You know, and Lee was like, oh, and I, I told him exactly what God said. Because God said, I'm going to make you like Paul. You know, you're going to go in and out of the Jewish community. He even went on and said, I'm going to set you with the bishops. And I'm giving you an international ministry. That's what he said. I'm a blind guy. I mean, I got... I'm a, I'm a drug addict. I got more tr tracks than Norfolk Southern. I'd only been full of the Holy Ghost for two months. And God is saying all these things. And Brother Lee was like, well, you're crazy. You've gone off the deep end. Right? And that makes sense. So he's telling everybody. And Pastor drags me into the office. And he straightens me out. And it was difficult to go through that because, well, Pastor just straightened me out. He's doing what a pastor does. But... Had that not happened, we wouldn't have the, 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 the testimony that we have today. Because the call of God that took place on my life, it was, it's not just my testimony anymore. It's his. Because he was there. He remembered all those years ago. So I remember just thinking, okay, fine. God's going to do whatever God's going to do. I didn't know any better. I just kept coming to church. Next thing you know, God's telling me to go to IBC. I went there. He told me to prepare for a Ph.D. program. I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to do this? I can barely get through IBC, you know. But I, I ended up going and showed up. And, you know, he would do different things, like tell me to go to camp. And just, you know, like I wasn't anything a superstar at camp, but he gave me favor. You know, I let God, God uh, allowed me to see ministry on a district level that I never would have had the opportunity to see. He taught me how to minister to kids. You know, he taught me how to go without no sleep and, and be able to do it all with a blind, as a blind person. You know, like. You know, and even at IBC, like, I wasn't the guy that they were asking to go preach out all the time. I wanted to win souls. No one would take me. And I'm like, God, how in the world am I going to go win souls? And God says, uh, you know, I'm praying that, and I hear a bus pull right outside my window. And the Lord says, do you need anybody to take you now? I'm like, you want me to get on that bus? And God's like, so I go, I didn't even have the money. Sleva gave me 20 bucks to get on the bus. You know, I couldn't get anybody to go win his souls until I started going, and we've just seen God do people getting healed on the streets. Just crazy stuff like that. And then, you know, I had 15, 20 kids follow me into the darkest hoods of Indianapolis, praying for people out on the streets, just trying to, I mean, we were seeing people in the stores, just all kinds of stuff. I wanted to win souls. And God would tell me, go get on the bus. It doesn't make sense, but now I'm all over Israel. I'm all over the world. I ride buses. 
You know, so it's those little steps of obedience right there where God tells you to do something that will literally prepare you for later on what God's going to do later in your life. So I was obedient with that. And, 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 then, and then once I got done with IBC, I went to here in Elkhart, the Mennonite Seminary, and I started working on a master's degree. And from there, that led into me getting connected with scholars in Israel. And the next thing you know, I've got this scholar who thinks that I'm nuts because I went over to Israel by myself. And he's like, well, if you can do that, you can come over here. So he does everything, bends over backwards to get me there. And then, you know, God just says, okay, now it's time for you to go. And all I had was $2,000 in an oversized suitcase. Of course, you put two of my shirts in a suitcase and it's already oversized. Haha, so, <laughs> you think that's funny? <laughs> so I, yeah, I've got my suitcases and acceptance letter. And God just showed up and did supernatural things. And I had no idea. I ended up getting connected with a bunch of guys that were Jewish and found out I've got a Jewish lineage. My mom's Jewish. Her parents are Jewish. I had no idea. So we've got our lineage. And they're like, well, if you're, we're going to a very Jewish school. Then I started going to, it's called the yeshiva, a kolel. In Hebrew, it's called Mekon HaGavorah. And it's an institute of higher, of, of, of higher learning. Torah. So I've got all these rabbis, where rabbis come from around the world to learn with these rabbis, looking at me like I'm a stolen baby, and they want to teach me. And that's what they call it. If you're a Jew who was raised by a Gentile family, you're considered to be a stolen baby. And they want to teach you. They want you to come back home. If I would have went to Israel any other way, I would not have had that opportunity. So now I'm in this Mechon Hagaborah. I'm learning with all these rabbis. I found out that I'm Jewish, and, um, you know, they decided that it's time for me to become an Israeli citizen. And the next thing you know, they're going to take me through this process, and now I'm a full-fledged Israeli citizen. I've got dual, citizen, dual citizenship, just like Paul did. And I go in and out of the Jewish community, just like Paul did, Right? And here I am, I'm in the process of becoming uh, intermediate, and I'm teaching, believe it or not, pastors around the world this type of stuff. And it's not, you know, so what I'm teaching you is extremely important. It's valuable. You know, the UPC, I mean, people are talking, they want, they want to know this and even make it material that's required reading for people that are trying to get their license. It's nothing, uh, it's very biblical. It's important. It's very revelatory. It'll change your life. And I'm telling you that here's why you want to pay attention to what I'm trying to teach you today. Um, because this is really, really, really cool. Um, and we're going to talk about Jewish theology. And we're going to talk about how God had revealed himself and how God had revealed himself in the man, Christ Jesus. Um, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Let me get this water here real quick. I do appreciate the opportunity, Bishop, because I, I teach new converts out on the street, um, whoever. This is, this is where I start. Whenever I start teaching anybody anything Bible, um, this is where I start. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And the word there for God is Elohim. Now, you, if you go through... And you look at Genesis chapter 1, 
uh, I think we all would agree that it's God creating the heavens and the earth and everything in it. Would you, would you agree with that? All right, so that's what's taking place. But if you go to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, says this, these are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God created them. Do you see what happened there that was different? It uses the word Lord God there. Do you see that? Why does it use Lord God? If you go down to verse 7, it says, and the Lord God formed man from the dust of the earth. Do you see that? So, why is it using Lord God there? Well, I'll tell you the Jewish, the theology of it, right? I've got my marker here. Um, let me get over here. It's a little bit further, okay. Can y'all see this? Okay. So, Genesis chapter 1 is, has a, a picture in it. And the picture is God. So if you look at Genesis chapter 1, and you look at verse 3, it says, and God said, let there be light. So what existed first, light or God? God existed first. He had to if he was going to create everything. So that's what we have beginning to take shape in Genesis chapter 1, that God preexisted everything. And Genesis chapter 1 gives you very clear details on how he created the world and everything in it. So he did do that. I'm going to draw a line here, and then I'm going to draw this little circle around here for the world. Not a very good circle. But here's God, who's a spirit, and he's in the spirit realm, isn't he? But he's creating the world and everything in it, which is the natural realm. So you've got the world and everything in it. It's the natural realm. You've got the laws that govern it. He created time. He created space. <clears throat> he created everything. So when you're looking at Genesis chapter 1, yeah, it's telling you what happened and how it was created, but it's also revealing to you that there's a spiritual realm and there's a natural realm. We don't really think about it like that too often, do we? Right? So the question then is why does it use God in Genesis chapter 1? It only uses God. It doesn't use Lord God. It doesn't use uh, any other thing. Why does it only use God? And the answer to that, according to Jewish theology, is that it's because God means, in, El in Hebrew, it's Elohim. Basically, deity, ruler, judge, God. But in Genesis chapter 2, it uses Lord God. And if you look at the word Lord, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D. And in, 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 in Hebrew, it uses the tetragrammaton, yud heh vav -Hey. So anywhere in an English translation, you see it capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it's using the name of God. Now, if you was to look at Genesis 2 verse 4 and you see Lord God, you wouldn't look at that and say that that's two different gods, would you? No, it's just one, one God. And Lord God is his name. In Hebrew, it's using the yud heh vav -Hey. And if I was to write that, I would write here, L-L-O-R-D. Did I get that right? <coughs> So here you've got God, Genesis chapter 1, but down here in Genesis chapter 2, you've got Lord God. So what's happening? Well, Genesis chapter 2 makes it very clear that he stuck his hands in, in, the, in the ground and he formed man. 
So, and, and then he gave man, don't eat of this tree. So he gave man his laws. He gave him the garden, till it, work it. He gave him a job. Man was lonely. Saul was not good for man to be alone. And he takes him through a process where man came to the realization that he was lonely, that, that there wasn't a help meet that was suitable for him. And then God gave him a wife. So God was he- very heavily involved in creating man. He's also involved in, 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 in giving him a covenant, laws. He's involved in his work. And he's involved in his home and his marriage life. And that is what's different about the, the Jewish theology is that in, according to Jewish theology, God, the God of Israel, is the God that is involved in every aspect of humanity. And, and, and in, in, in other ancient Semitic religions, way back in Egypt and, and the Hittites and the Syrians and the Sumerians, all of them, they all had gods that they would offer up sacrifices to, but there was no covenant with them. They would just offer up sacrifices to try to appease the God from being angry. Uh, there was no covenant. There was never any language in any of those ancient Semitic religions that referred to the people as though they were the wife of the God. That's unique and distinctive between the God of Israel and Israel. Amen. And then uh, adding to it, the other gods were not heavily involved in humanity and all. They would punish them. They would destroy crops, and they would do this and do that. But they didn't have any covenant, and they didn't have any real relationship with humanity whatsoever. So that was distinctly unique between the God of Israel and, 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 the, and the people of, of God. So what's happening here with this theology? I know it sounds a little bit confusing, but I'm going somewhere, I promise. And this Jewish theology says that this is what happens. The God in Genesis chapter 1, who, who is a spirit, who dwells outside of time and space, in Genesis 2, he stepped into time and space. He came down, and he put his hands into the ground, and he formed man. And he blew the breath of life into his nostrils, and he established his covenant with him, and gave him the job and, and, and worked in his family, his marriage. And if you go into all throughout Genesis chapter 2, you'll always see it's Lord God because God is always there in Genesis chapter 2. If you go to Genesis chapter 3, you'll always see it, Lord God. Why? Because even when man sinned, God wasn't afar off. He wasn't out in the spiritual realm somewhere. Amen. He was heavily involved. He was with sin. Genesis chapter 4, when their children sinned, people say, well, why didn't God stop it? He tried to stop it. He communicated with Cain. He told him, hey, look, sin's at the door. If, you're, if, you, if you don't sin, if you overcome it, you'll do well. If you won't, then you're going to have to deal with the consequences. I'm paraphrasing it. But that's basically God, Lord God was talking to him. He was involved with his children, with, with Adam and Eve's children as well. Why? It makes sense because there's a theme throughout the Bible that says that the promise is unto you and unto your children. So God is very heavily involved, not just in the marriage, but also in the children's lives. So Genesis 1, God who's a spirit who dwelled outside of time and space, who created the world, the natural realm, and and everything in it, he came down, stepped into time and space, created man, dwelt with man, walked with man, established his covenant, I'm trying to find my thing here. There it is. And, 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 and helped to um, deal with his family, dealt with sin. Isn't that beautiful? That's a beautiful theology. 
But where do they get that from? That's the next question. Because it's cool and it's clever, and we could leave that on its own and be like, wow, that preach is good. But where do they get that idea from? Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. I can hear the pages turn. It's so awesome. It says, and the Lord said, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cries by the reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Very beautiful. He's saying, I heard them. I know their sorrows. I know what they're going through. To verse 8. And I am come down to deliver them. So here's what God says. I, God, creator of heaven and earth, came down. He descended. Stepped into time and space. Why? To deliver them. To help them. He saw the troubles and things like that that they were going through. The pain uh, that they were going through the hand of their taskmaster. He says, I come down to deliver them out of the hand of their taskmasters to bring them up out of that land and to a land that's good and large and to a land flowing with milk and honey. So it wasn't that, hey, I come down and I'm just going to help them. No, I'm going to come down and I, I come down to deliver them, to bring them out, amen, to take them into a large and a good land. Amen, God's got plans for us. Amen, that's good. Amen. He's got, he wants to do something specific in our life. Amen. And it's very interesting because you can see that imagery there where God, Lord, the God who stepped into time and space, he himself said, I have come down to deliver them. So that's where that beginning of that Jewish theology begins to sh- take shape. Turn to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19 verse 11 says this, and be ready against the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people. So it wasn't just something that happened with Moses, right? It was something that was going to take place inside of all the people. And that's how the revelation of God is. Amen. It's not for one person. It's not for just one anointed individual Who's called by God? No, it's for everybody. God desired to come down in the sight of everybody. He wanted everybody to know that he's God. Right? So here it is. 19 verse 11, he came down. Upon Mount Sinai. Verse 16, 19 verse 16. It says, it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount. And the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that were in the camp trembled. Verse 17. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with who? To meet with God. God. Who's God? God is the creator of heaven and earth. So he's establishing that. that we're not going to meet anybody else. We're coming to meet God. Right? And, it stood, and they stood on another part of the mount. Verse 18. And Mount Sinai was altogether smoking because the Lord descended on it. He came down on it in fire. 
and the smoke ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. Verse 19, and the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder. Moses spake, and, and, and God answered them all. Oh, I missed them. And, Lord, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. So you can see there that this idea, and, and this is the, where the great revelation on Mount Sinai, where God came down inside of everybody, right? So this is where that theology begins to become more established. But it becomes more established in chapter 34. Well, well, let's just stay at 19 verse, chapter 19, verse 20. Um, it says, and the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses, Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. So it says it there again that he came down. Sorry about that. I don't just, that last verse, just to make the point clear. It says it over and over and over again that he came down, right? Exodus chapter 34, verse 4. Exodus 34, verse 4. And it says this, it says, And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up onto Mount Sinai because the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tables of stone that he had hewed out. Verse 5. It says, And the Lord descended in the cloud. You see that? He came down. And he stood with him there. And he proclaimed the name of the Lord. So who's getting ready to proclaim the name of the Lord? God is. Verse 6. And the Lord passed by before him and he proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God. Do you see that? Merciful and gracious. Long-suffering and abundant in goodness and mercy. Keeping mercy for thousands. The word there for keeping is shomer. He's a guardian of mercy for thousands. Forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. And that why no, will by no means clear the guilty, which the Hebrew is more clear. that, And it basically what it means is anybody who's guilty of sin, transgression, or iniquity will not be able to escape God's mercy. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. And that sounds so bad, like God's pouring out judgment there. But the context is his mercy. So he's visiting the sins of the fathers upon the children until the third and fourth generation, not with judgment, but with mercy. So who's, who's making this claim? God's the one that's making this claim. He came down and then he proclaimed what his name was. Look at Moses' response. And Moses made haste and bowed his head towards the earth, and he worshiped. Now, this is why revelation is so important. Because the context here is that 
Moses was commanded by God to bring the tablets, hew out two more tablets of stone and bring it up to the mountain. Well, why did he have to hew them out? Well, if you remember right, because we just started reading in Exodus chapter 19, God came down. He commanded the people to, hey, get together, get ready. And God began to speak to the people, giving them the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. But the people was like, oh, no, we, we don't want to do that. It says that they stood afar off. And Moses is like saying, what are you doing? Don't do that. Look it up in Exodus chapter 20. Don't do that. God's trying to tell you what sin is to try to prove you so that you know what sin is. And the people are like, Moses, we'll listen to you. We don't want to listen to God. We'll talk to you because we're afraid that we're going to die. And the people rejected the opportunity to be able to commune with God the same way that Moses did. So God honors it, and he tells Moses to come up onto the mountain. And as uh, God's speaking with Moses and, and, and articulating the, the issues of the law, the people are down there, and they made the golden calf. They were up fornicating and partying and doing all this stuff, and, and, and while Moses was up getting the covenants of God. So Moses is up there. Uh, trying to get the laws of God. And then when he, he, you know, God's like, hey, they're down there doing all these things. Moses comes down and he breaks the Ten Commandments. You remember that? He throws them down. Right? And you would think that they've already rejected the word of God. Excuse me. They've already rejected the word of God. And that while Moses is up, the man of God is up, you know, trying to uh, sacrifice it and be in, the, be in the presence of God so that he could lead the people of God into the promise. That's where they were going. And to the promise that he had for them, you know, they're down there doing all this crazy stuff, sin. And we would think, at least I would in my own carnal way of thinking, that that would be enough for God to say, you know what, I'm done. You don't want to do it? Fine. You don't want to live my way? My way or the highway? Done. Over with. But, and, and, and that's what Moses does. He comes down, he breaks the, the throws the Ten Commandments down, the, the tablets down, breaks them. And, you know, he ends up going through this whole process. And you would think that that would be a place where God would just give up, but that's not what happened. God tells Moses, hey, carve out two more tablets and then come back up here because I'm going to give you the law again. But this time he tells Moses, he comes down and he stands beside him and he declares his name, his name that's full of mercy, full of kindness, full of love, full of long suffering, amen, full of mercy and truth. And, and it's with this new declaration of who God is in Moses' eyes. Moses had never experienced God be so kind and, and loving like that. He'd never went through that before. So for God to come down in the midst of the people turning their back on him and sitting like that, saying, I'm not done with these people yet. I've got a plan. It's there where Moses, you know, has the, the responsibility to come up and write the laws of God for himself within the context of mercy. You know, and that's why I was telling you earlier, that's what the revelation of God does. Amen. When we understand how kind and merciful he is, how loving he is, and how his plan is to take us into a good and a large land, a land flowing with milk and honey, amen, it changes how we come to the word of God. Is it something that we have to do, or is it something that we get to do? Amen. And that's what we get to see. We get this beautiful imagery of the Jews who had the, this, the, this idea, oh, this is something that we have to do. And because it's something that we have to do, when things don't go the, the way that we think they should and the time frame that we think they should, uh, we'll just, just fall and do whatever it is that we're going to do. That's what humanity does. Amen. We can't blame them. That's just the way people are. Right? But it's in the midst of that where God says, I'm not done yet. And he reveals to Moses who he is and why his laws are the way that they are. 
in the midst and in the revelation of kindness and mercy. And the response of Moses is he made haste and he bowed down and he worshiped. Amen. Moses at the burning bush never bowed down and worshiped. He went, God called him into Exodus or into Egypt and, and, and he sent him in there to do all these miracles. Moses never made haste or bowed down and worshiped. He didn't do it. When uh, God brought all the people out and did all the miracles and he came down on a mountain the first time, Moses never made haste or bowed down and worshiped. Amen. But when the people turned their back on God and were willing to walk away from God and were willing to go back into the same mess that God would pull them out of and God says, hey, I'm not done yet. I've got a plan. I've got a purpose. Here's who I really am. I'm kind. I'm loving. I'm the Lord God. Amen. I'm merciful. I'm, I'm gracious. And I'm a guardian of mercy, as a matter of fact, Moses. And, you know, no matter what kind of sin, transgression or iniquity it is, I'll cover that with mercy. Amen. And I'll do it no matter how much sin there is. I'll meet them with mercy. And it doesn't matter. They're kids. I'm going to meet them with mercy too. Just keep on going the route. This is my plan. And Moses' response was he made haste and he bowed down and he worshiped. And that's the response of Revelation. It's, it's, that's what happened when Revelation comes. It's not something that you have any choice, right? Because when Revelation comes and you realize who he is and how loving he is and how kind he is, the immediate response was he made haste and he bowed down and he worshiped. It happens to every one of us. That's why the New Testament says that it's the kindness and, and mercies of, that leads to repentance. That's why, because that's who he is. When people finally understand what God is trying to do in their life and that they've only been fighting him and turning their back on him, the response is they make haste. And they bow down, and they worship. And obedience gets, gets to be something that we get to do, not something that we have to do. And if it's something that we get to do, it's something that we get to do. He's taking us somewhere. He's got a plan. It's a big plan. Amen? That's why this revelation idea is so important. And you're probably wondering, well, what in the world has this got to do with the oneness of God? That's good preaching. has everything to do with the oneness of God. We got a few more verses <clears throat> because I want to show you that this idea is not static. Numbers 11. I know we're running out of time. Will you trust me? You can just write the verses down, check them out later. Numbers 11.25 says, And the Lord came down in a cloud. So, the Jews say that the God came down on Mount Sinai, and that was it. That's not it. The revelation of God, God coming down, was not static. It did not take place on Mount Sinai alone. It came down in the wilderness. God came down. Um, that's 11.25, Numbers 11.25. I'm not going to read the rest of the verse. Numbers 12, verse 5, says this, And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud says it again. And stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Miriam. And he dealt with them. Second Samuel. Second uh, Samuel 22.10 says this. This is David speaking. He says, he bowed the heavens also and he came down. 
and darkness was under his feet. David had that revelation. Right? He came down. So it wasn't just something for Moses. It wasn't just something in, my, in Sinai. David had the revelation. And I really appreciated Ben's preaching because, like, I remember a few months ago when I was just, like, in this place of, like, God, what are you doing in my life? And there's times where, you know, you know, there's be questions when you're answering the call of God in your life, like, what's going to be for the future? And I remember the Lord spoke to me. He said, I see the Saul's that's chasing their donkeys, but I see the David that's tending his sheep. And David, he had that revelation of who God was. And he was about the things of God. And he sought the things of God. You remember, heard it preached many times. He, you know, God tells David, seek my face. Here's another way of saying it. Seek my presence. And David says, your face or your presence I will seek. Well, what was he talking about? This idea right here. David saying it. He came down. He had the revelation. Second Chronicles 7 verse 1. Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering. There it is. He came down. And the glory of the Lord filled the house. Same idea. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down, filled the house, and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground and, and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good for his mercy endureth forever. So here they've got the same response. Why? Because they've seen him come down. And in the context there is mercy. And it's interesting that David had the same revelation. God came down and so did Solomon, who was his son. Why is that important? Because the promise is unto you and to your children. That's exactly what God said. So you can see how this revelation wasn't just something that was for the children of Israel. It was for David. And then it permeated the house of David and it was extended to his son. Very beautiful. Psalms 18 verse 9 says this, he bowed the heavens also and came down and darkness was under his feet. If you go through and read the whole psalm, the whole context is God came down with a vengeance. Why? Because he was trying to protect David and what, David, what God was trying to do in David's life. Very beautiful, the imagery and the revelation that David had. God came down. The presence of God came down. Um, continuing Daniel 4 verse 13 I saw in the visions upon my bed and behold a watcher and an holy one came down from heaven there it is again so even Daniel had it in fact Ezekiel had it Jeremiah had it Isaiah had it there's so many of them the same idea was that God came down why because the, the image is, is that God, who is a spirit, who's in heaven, who is outside of time and space, steps into time and space. He came down, and he engages with humanity. And it's not just a static event. It was for everyone who would be willing to, to seek the presence of God. David had it. Solomon had it. The prophets had it. Now, what about the New Testament? John 1.1 1, 1 says this. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Uh, verse 2, and the same was in the beginning with God, or to 
the Greek says prostonteon, which literally means to or toward. It's a very difficult way to translate it, but translators say with because there's not a really better way to make it make sense. But verse 3 is very clear. All things were made by him, and without him there wasn't anything that was made that was made. So this word, which was God, here John is saying was the creator of heaven and earth. Why is that important? Verse 14, and the word was made flesh. So this word, which was God, who was the spirit outside of time and space, was made or became flesh, stepped into time and space, and became a man. Do you see that? So that Jewish theology is there, very present. And he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Amen. Full of grace and truth. The glory of the only God of the Father, full of grace and truth. Very beautiful imagery. But what did Jesus say? John chapter 3, verse 13. Says this, and no man has ascended up to heaven. So no man ascended up to heaven. But he that came down from heaven. So here's Jesus saying, the one that's going up is the one that first came down. Even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And here he's talking about the omnipresence um, of himself, of him being fully God and still being fully man. So even Jesus said it. And, and what I'm trying to do is trying to communicate to you this idea that's a Jewish theology. Right? We talked about Genesis chapter 1, God outside of time and space, him stepping into time and space. And Genesis 2, well, where did they get that idea? They got that idea from Exodus and Numbers and from the prophets where God himself proclaimed who he was. He was the Lord God. There wasn't two people there. He himself came down to deliver. He didn't send anybody else, right? He didn't send a son. He said, no, I've, I've come down. David didn't say, hey, he sent somebody else. He said, no, he bowed to heaven. He came down. Darkness was under his feet, talking about the Lord. So the question in is, is if this is a Jewish theology that's present in the New Testament, but maybe we just as New Testament or Gentiles is separated or that have been separated from Jewish theology, we ought to be able to see it other places. Maybe Paul. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5. Probably be able to quote it. And we usually stop there. It says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who's above all, through all, and in you all. We stop there. That's it. But unto every one of us is given grace. Why is that important? Because that's who God said he was on Mount Sinai in Exodus 34. According unto the measure of the gift of Christ. Verse 8. Wherefore he saith, he ascended up on high. He led captivity captive. And what he's doing there, he's quoting Psalm 67. Right? Uh, verse 17. So he went up on high, leading captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. Verse 9. Now that he ascended, what is it that he also descended? First into the lower parts of the earth. 
So he's saying, what is it that he went up? Because he's talking about the resurrected Christ. Right? And he's saying, what is it that he went up except for he first came down into the lower parts of the earth? And if that isn't clear, the next verse is, he that descended is the same one that also ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. So he, the, and this is what Paul's saying there, he that went up was the one who came down. And he's using that same theology. The one that went up first came down. Now, it helps because I'm, I'm, I'm almost done, just a couple more verses here. Um, but that's the idea of the oneness of God, right? Because in, in, the, in the Old Testament, you've got this idea where God is a spirit outside of time and space in Genesis 1, stepping into time and space in Genesis 2. He does the same thing in Exodus, and he does the same thing in the prophets, and uh, he does the same thing uh, with David and, and Solomon, right? But here in the Old Testament, he's, he's revealing himself as though he's there, and he had an image of maybe a fire or uh, something along those lines. But in the New Testament, the, the revelation is still the same. He's God outside of time and space, but he steps into time and space, right? And he became a man this time, and he dwelt among us. He's walking among us. The same revelation is there. And since we have that understanding of him outside of time and space stepping into time and space, well, why did he do that? Well, Exodus 34 says to show grace, to show kindness, to show mercy, Amen. That's the reason why he did it, uh, to just to reveal himself and, and, and to be a protector of his people because he's got a plan and a purpose. And that's the very thing that Jesus did was to show kindness and mercy. Actually, the revelation in the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible actually finds its fullest expression in the New Testament in the man Christ Jesus. Do you see that? That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? That's a whole lot easier than going through Greek and, and all this other stuff. He came down. And even when we were in service a little bit ago, the, <clears throat> the spirit of God began to settle in here, right? And I don't know about you, but I thank God for that. I'm looking forward to that when, and you can almost feel it like it comes down. It does. You can feel that spirit of God just settle into it. And, and it's interesting because look what the prophets say. Um, in Psalms, this is David, 144 says this. Um, 144, verse 3, for those who are taking notes. Lord, what is man that thou takest knowledge of him, or the son of man that thou takest account of him? Verse 4, man is like unto vanity. His day are as, as the shadow that passes away. Verse 5, bow thy heavens, O Lord, and come down. And here he is, and, and this is the value of the revelation. Before he's seen God do it, but now he's in a place where I'm messed up, and I need your help. And what is he doing? He's calling to God, and he's saying what? Come down. Because when God comes down, things are going to change. The atmosphere changes, right? I mean, bonds get broken, right? I mean, pains are healed. Amen. Chains are broken. Amen. He sees what we're going through. Amen. He comes down to, to deliver and to save. And that's what the revelation is. And when you have that understanding, 
Amen. You get to ask him, God, come down into the situation. And he did. Touch the mountains, David says, and they'll smoke. Like this situation that I'm going through, that I, it's way too big for me, God, that's all you got to do is just come down. Amen. Touch this mountain. This thing is going to smoke. David said like this. He says, mountains melt like wax before the Lord. The Lord, the God who steps into time and space. Amen. Because when God comes down, amen, things are finna happen. Right? Amen. And Isaiah says the same thing right here. 64 verse 1. Oh, that thou would rentest the heavens, that thou would dare come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. Isaiah understood it too. And Isaiah is one of these prophets that's trying to tell people to repent and turn back to God and, and all these things. And he went through a lot of difficulties. We all do. We're people. Amen. And this is the value of the revelation and of the oneness of God. Jesus is not a second person. Amen. There is never, there's never been a second person. And that's what Paul said. He said this. He said, grace to you from God our Father and the Lord, Jesus Christ. That's what was in Genesis chapter 2. Lord God. Same idea. It's not two different people. He's the Lord God. Amen. Just like in Exodus chapter 34, full of kindness and mercy, forgiving iniquity and sins and transgressions. That's who Jesus was. He was the Lord God. Amen. And you, he's approachable. We can call upon him. Amen. We have the ability just to ask him, God, step into our situation. Amen. Paul wasn't trying to teach us anything other than that. That same idea, God, he came down. Thomas said this, doubting Thomas, when he stuck his hand in, in his finger, what did he say? He said, my Lord and my God. Same idea. The Bible is full of it. Here I am, I'm, not, I'm just, I'm a blind guy, I get to go to school, I get to learn with rabbis, you know, and I'm not out trying to teach something new that no one's ever heard of before or anything like that. I'm trying to communicate this old ancient theology this revelation that God proclaimed himself right and and if we don't have this 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 access to the to the Hebrew Bible the Old Testament we don't study it like that we just miss out on it for whatever reason God's showed it to me and he's teaching me and he allows me to teach everyone else but when I began to learn it here's why it's so important when I began to learn it and I understood the value seek my presence meant God come down when he's saying, seek my presence, that's, that's your response is to say, God, come down. And when he comes down, our response is to make haste and bow down and worship, submit to it. Because what happens is, is that when God begins to reveal himself in our lives that way, he begins to reign in our own personal life. You know, we get to approach the word of God, not through this thing of something that we have to do or we're going to go to hell or there are a bunch of rules and regulations. That's not it. It's something that we get to do because God is full of grace and mercy and kindness. He's got plans for us and for our children. Amen. He's got it. He's wanting to take us to a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And if we get that, we have God reigning. He's coming down. His spirit is ever in our life. He's ever in our home. He's ever in our community. And if we could get that, man, we'll just be able to walk with him in greater dimensions than ever before. So I appreciate the opportunity. I hope it helped. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, y'all. That's what it is. I'm up here sweating like a hog. Did I do okay, Bishop? Is that good?